0: Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Vital Point Church. My name is Ron, I'm the pastor here at Vital Point. We believe that it's important for people to explore and grow in their faith. And my hope, my prayer is that this message that you're listening to will draw you closer to better understanding how you can live out your faith journey in the everyday life. Sit back and enjoy. Today we're continuing Uh, A series that we've been in for the last few weeks called Church 3.0. So if you're newer today, you're newer to church in general, that's what we're kind of jumping into today. Not kind of, we are jumping into this today, this series of Church 3.0. And what we've been doing is focusing on what the future church will look like. And it's uh, it's, it's a great idea and a great uh, way to think about, okay, what is God doing in his church? How are we moving forward? Whether you're new to this or old to this, you're new to VPC, or you're kind of just checking this out, you're tuning in from wherever you're at. We've been focusing on what the future church will look like as we enter into a new era. We've all kind of seen what we've walked through and been through the last few years, and we believe that God is doing something new. He's up to something, and we believe in the 21st century, when we focus on these things of what the gospel is doing, we're looking at the realities of the gospel and how it fits into our everyday 21st century, we believe that the local church has a role and has authority in how our world is moving and how it is orchestrated, and how things are going in our society, whether it's regional or international. The local church has influence and authority, and we're looking at that through this series called Church 3.0. And the base of our conversations have come from this New Testament letter called Acts. Um, you can find it in the New Testament. It's the back half of your Bible. If you don't know where it is, you can go to the index and you can find it, the page number, and it's right there. And it's written by a doctor in the ancient world named Luke. He also wrote one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you guessed it right. He wrote the Gospel of Mark. Um, just kidding. You alive with me this morning? No one threw anything at me, so I guess I can joke around tonight. today, I guess. But yeah, he wrote the Gospel of Luke. And what we've done over the last few weeks is dove into the conversation from his letter in the book of Acts. And it's really helped us grasp and understand what it means to be the church. So you actually may hear us through the series use this phrase or maybe your connect group leaders if you're part of a community in a connect group which meets out through the week. You might hear them say we must look back to go forward. Look back to go forward and what we've done here is we see that in the Bible which is a collection of letters brought together to make a collection. It's, it's, like a, it's like a library. It brought together and we call now the Bible. When we've looked at it, we've seen that it is breathing life into the church today. Not just then, but today. And it gives direction and correction, even church order of when apprentices of Jesus, people that call themselves Christ followers, uh, when we allow ourselves to believe these words, put our life on these words, and it has authority, we see that the church moves forward where it gives a guidance and rule of life. Not a rule for life, a rule of life and when we find that direction as apprentices to Jesus and we do it in community we actually find life and life to the full through relationship with Jesus so this is what's amazing about this series is we're looking at the church the future church but what does it mean right now as God is reshaping the church to be the church right now where we live where we're planting churches which is so much fun Literally, if you, if you are part of Vital Point Church, this is an incredible opportunity to be part of a community that is looking to look forward in our world right now. How do we live out the good news of the gospel? Today, I want to spend some good time looking at something that has been kind of hinted at through the first two weeks. And I want to spend some time because it kind of got saved for me to teach on it. So I was really excited that no one like busted it open and stole my, uh, stole my rain and, and my, and my story that I want to share today. But today, we're going to look at how the early church was generous. That word generous. And I would even go far to say radically generous. And when I say radically generous, it was a community of people who did this with all of their being. Like every ounce of who they were literally was generous. Where these normal people were making heads turn because of their deep commitment to meeting the needs of family members, neighbors, friends, and I would even say strangers and enemies. This church, the early church, was radically generous, and I want to look at that through the, uh, through the uh, letter of Acts, Luke's incredible letter of the early church. And if you've got a Bible, you can open it up to Acts chapter 4. If you don't, if you've got your phone open, you can do that. And if you don't have that, it's okay. We've got it on the Sky Bible right here. Sky Bible, Okay. We're trademarking it around here. It's fun. But I want to read this for us where the early church was radically generous. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to 35. It says, now, the the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, before we jump into this, we've been looking at the two weeks before. I want to give you two words that we've looked at. So for week one, we looked at this word power, where we saw that the early church was filled with power. The Holy Spirit empowered them with supernatural power where it dwelled inside of them, where they could go and be the witness of the good news. We looked at it from an aspect that it also fills us, that the Holy Spirit, that he literally fills us up as well, that we have the same power, the same ability to be the witnesses of the good news of Jesus Christ. So we looked at that word power. Last week, we looked at the word together. Where the the early disciples, the early church were literally devoted, which actually means in the Greek language, they glued themselves together. They were so committed to the scriptures, to community, to breaking of bread and prayers that it literally glued them together where it created a oneness. So those words power together and today generous through this Acts chapter four passage. And when I read this at first glance this week, when I kind of opened up my Bible and said, okay, God, what do you kind of got for us as a community this week? He, I, I, I found at first glance that there was something that I noticed that were a few things that just popped up. And it mentioned in Luke this beautiful moment. Maybe you, you like picked up these moments as well, that I don't think we realize in our Western culture when it comes to generosity, the two things that really popped out was verse 32 and 34. 32 says, no one said that the things, any of the things that belonged to him was his own. How often do we look at our stuff and it's like, it's mine. I look at my daughter, she's two years old, and she's like, that's mine. I'm like, no, that's <laughs> we're not even in your own house. It's not yours. <laughs> right? It, right we, we have this idea that the things that we have, we say they're ours. But this right here, verse 32 says, all of the belongings that they had to them, they saw it as not their own. Verse 34 is even more radical. It says, there was not a needy person among them. Now, I've got to be honest. I'm a needy person. Just ask my wife. I found out this past few years when we've been married, the last four years, that there's this thing called a man's cold. Um, when a man gets a cold, they're super needy. And uh, I found out I'm super needy when I got a man's cold. But I also found out I'm super needy when I don't have a man's cold. Yeah? It's crazy, eh? When you get married, what revealed to you through life? I'm also super selfish. No, I'm also humble as well. Okay, guys? No, but these two things are interesting. Verse 32 and 34, the things that they had that belonged to them were not their own, but also there was not a needy person among them. See, at first glance, this really piqued my interest because it made me think, do I right now in my life and in our world see this generosity? Right now, do we see it? Now, some of us would be like really eager and be like, yeah, absolutely we do. We see generosity like this like crazy. And I would say, yeah, I'm on board with that. I really do. We see uh, we see charities meeting the needs of people left, right, and center. We see GoFundMes when crises arise, where they just skyrocket, where people are so generous. But I would go farther and say, and I'd push you a little to the edge and say, I actually don't see the generosity like we're talking about today from the early church. Because there's something here that the early church really understood with all of their being, where they lived it out, and it comes from another section in Acts chapter 20, which is actually Jesus' words, and it says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Acts chapter 20, verse 35 is this encounter where they they know this. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And see, Jesus was the son of God, right? Right? Some of us know that. Some of us question, like, was he really the son of God? Did he come from heaven and was born as a baby and lived this life with no sin? He was the son of God. So if he's the son of God and he's making these claims and these moments where he's saying he's teaching truth and foundation for people's lives, the early church would see it as more blessed to give than to receive, which means that God is the originator of generosity. The originator of Generosity. See, the early church, as we have learned again and again through the series, were a community of people who devoted themselves to one another, glued themselves together, where they had everything in common, where they were in one heart and one soul. And this led them to seeing everything as Jesus saw this world and commanded them to be in the world, not of the world, but in the world. See, Jesus influenced the way of the people, which is the word for the early church, the way, the people of the way. So the early church saw the way that Jesus lived, understood it, allowed it to influence all of their being, and saw the world the way he did, because he lived a life that saw the world completely different. This actually left the religious leaders and the religious elite angry and frustrated. that led to his death, where he led them to frustration, but his way and outlook of life, of generosity, and leaning into the moments and meeting the needs of others, actually, actually Had people flock to him. The crowds would come to him because they were like, Whoa, this is not the way we do life. This is not the way we see the world. But this guy's understand, understanding something completely different. See, Jesus' look at his life and outlook on the world, he lived from a conviction. This is big. Jesus lived from the conviction that there was enough. There was enough in this world to survive, to live whatever it was, there was enough. His mindset was always set on abundantly more because he knew who God was. This mindset of abundance allowed him to live sacrificially and being radically generous with this. He called his followers to trust God's abundance. He literally told them and addressed them multiple times, recording saying, you must sell your possessions and give to the poor. Take everything that you have, sell it and give to the poor. His death, Death, burial, and resurrection is another beautiful demonstration of laying everything down for what? To be generous, to give away something, for you to receive something. His true belief and conviction, that word this week, the conviction that living with enough literally fueled the early church to see uh, that they could be radically generous, being part of the way they did life. And this is the one side of the coin. This is a biblical worldview of Generosity. If you look at your Bible, when we look at generosity, we look at giving with your time, your resources, your emotions, everything. This is the biblical worldview that Jesus actually calls his followers to, apprentices to Jesus, to do this. But there's another side of the coin that happens to be. There's always two sides. And the other side of the coin I want to look at for a moment because it's the human outlook on generosity, which, in other words, is the worldview. The worldview of generosity, not the biblical worldview, the worldview. See, humans in our natural form don't have the same conviction. We don't live with that natural conviction that Jesus did. We seem to often live from scarcity and struggle, not abundance, not abundance. We live from that place of struggle. And where does this come from? That's the question I had to ask this week. Where does this position of life come from? See, this problem that we live from, this position of struggle and not enough, is the mindset that there is not enough resources for all of us to live a good life here in this world. That's where it stems from. This is where people begin to believe and live from, maybe there isn't enough, so I need to take. And we become this generation in this world that if it's gone, it's gonna be gone soon, I better act now, I better gather, I better take, I better hoard, I better like, get what I want, because if there's not enough resources in this world... I better get the stuff that I deserve. And when we live from here, it actually comes from a posture of impulsiveness, and we live from this idea that I must take care of me, myself, and I kind of world, which leads our humanity down the dark path of envy, which we see so deep in our world right now, anger that is just literally just erupting from the earth, and also violence. Envy, anger and violence where our views are skewed and we can only see that this world doesn't have enough for everyone so we better snag it up now and keep it to ourselves but what if i told you we need to see god in a different light we see god's desire for his world yeah we live most of us this is the cultural norm that we live from there's not enough but what if we saw that god's desire for his people was to live out of that abundance that Jesus did that same conviction that there is a enough. He promises abundance, but here's the thing. The promise of abundance, you have to put all of your faith, all of your trust in who he is, not this world. The living from abundance comes from the faith and trust in who he is and how he will provide. See, when we see God as the abundance and the provider it actually releases us from the grip of not enough. See, God, by sending his son, shows us that God is a true giver. That's a beautiful example, one of the best examples I'd ever give anyone on generosity, that God is a giver because he gave his one and only son. I love how David Campbell puts it in his book, No Diving. He says, God is a giver. He could have left it right there. But he goes on to say, God is a giver because he has no needs. He lives in an infinite abundance and loves nothing more to give generously. We became rich because of what Christ gave to us. Gave us life by his death, burial, and resurrection. We became rich through that. When God brings people into his kingdom, uh, his desire is that we become like him. Generous. That's his desire for us. See, God doesn't desire his people and world to live in a position and posture of struggle and not enough. It's so unfortunate that our human nature lives from this thing called the spirit of poverty. If you take anything today, we live from a spirit of poverty, so many of us, and it defines us as people who never have enough where we feel like no matter what we do, no matter what ladder we climb, no matter who we chop the legs out from underneath at work, we're always behind the eight ball. And we live from the spirit of poverty. Adam and Eve are perfect examples of this. They lived in perfect harmony with the creator. They had abundance literally at their fingertips. They had all that they needed. But in the end, they didn't believe it. If you know the story, the serpent who is Satan, the enemy of this world, he succeeded with bringing their attention to the one thing they didn't have. And this is the beginning where it feeds into humans being takers, not givers. Focusing on the me, myself, and I, which fuels the position and the outlook of no matter what we have, there's not enough in this world for all of us where we have a world that is filled with people taking advantage of one another. I've seen it. I've lived it. How do I just get ahead? How do I just gather more? How do I take? And it just blinds us from the reality that God desires his people to be generous and give away freely. Something that's been really wrecking my heart lately is this idea of generosity where it's developed a deep, deep concern inside of me where I don't see it very much because we live in a world that there's the lie of not enough where the enemy of this world says, Hey, Adam and Eve, there's one thing that you don't have. We fed into it and it takes on the ugly face that affects young families, teenagers, businesses, organizations, communities to rack up debt through loans and credit cards, make it look like you have lots to family and friends because they got lots to family and friends. It's just like you just make it look like everything's so great. Renovations that people can't afford, people becoming house poor, and even the simple things of having a car because someone's got a car or they've got a new cell phone, so I gotta get a new cell phone. And it just creates a cycle and cycle and cycle around and around and around again. And I'd go out on a limb and say that the enemy himself, Satan, has done a good job of distracting us on our needs that we think are needs, not the needs of others. Where we live in a world that the cultural norm is keep because he's shown us that there's supposedly not enough. And I'm here to tell you that there is. There is enough. We started this year as a church looking at God, the God of the abundance. That he would do abundantly more as through us as individuals, but us through a church. The early church saw this. They lived it out. They believed that God was the God of abundance. He would meet the needs of everyone. We've seen this in our church this year. Over the last few years, we've seen we're buying buildings during a world pandemic. That does not happen without God. Like, seriously. Like, we should be cheering for that. Yes. Absolutely. Buying a building in a world pandemic where people are losing jobs and people are holding as tight as they can, where God, we saw God provide over $600,000 for a building that we can call our own. That is God of, the, God of the abundance. Also the idea of raising resources to plant churches in rural settings. That's only because of God. We set the idea that, oh, 60,000 bucks is gonna be great. He's like, how about 91,000? He like, he's, like, he's like, watch me do what I do. I multiply. I am the God of abundance. But the question I had to ask myself is, yeah, we see the evidence of this. The early church saw it. The question is, how do we live from a place of generosity? That's the question I want to ask today. Is how do we live from this place of generosity? And if we're to live from this place of generosity, we must defeat the spirit of poverty. That's what we need to do defeat the spirit of poverty. And when we defeat the spirit of poverty, we live in the abundance of God that he leads us to radical generosity or just becomes part of who we are. Our beings can't hold it back. What do I mean by defeating the spirit of poverty? I want to look at it through the lens of debt for a second. See, what we need to do is beat the idolatry of debt as well. Our culture is literally swimming in debt. God never envisioned his people to be crippled and trapped by debt. A quick example of this is the ancient Israel. If someone was in dire need or in poverty or in debt, it would literally, their their community would rally behind them, support them, take care of them, their needs, everything. And every seven years, those debts would be vanished, taken away. Not the idea of holding it over your head and high uh, like interest rates. No, it was literally seen as if you were in dire need, we would meet the needs because we are a community, we are a family, we see one another's needs, and we lift each other up, and at the end of seven years, guess what? It's gone. God's desire is to see his people not in debt, swimming in it. Like I quickly mentioned, we swim in this. Some of us today are up to our eyeballs in debt and we've come to a time and point where Christians and non-Christians, we can barely avoid it. No one wakes up in the morning and be like, ah, I just can't wait to rack up my credit card bill. No, right? Some of us, it literally just came out of nowhere. It happens to us. See, defeating the spirit of poverty is truly rooted in the words of Jesus. This is what radically changed my mind on this with spirit of poverty. If we are to defeat the spirit of poverty, Jesus, we need to believe where he says our treasure is found in heaven, not this world. Our treasure is found in heaven. And if we live from that foundational truth, we can rest and find contentment in that, that God is going to provide and be grateful that He has provided for what we already have. That's the beauty thing. That's the beautiful thing that our treasure is found in heaven where we actually find joy as apprentices where we found it in Christ, not the materialism, not the adding and grabbing and taking, not these things. No, that's not where we find joy. Our joy is found in Christ where our treasure is in heaven. Joy in Christ is the provision from God where it breaks the chains and defeats the spirit and position of poverty in our world. This allows us to see why the early church, they didn't live from the spirit of poverty. They saw the spirit of abundance, that God was literally going to meet their needs because they were meeting the needs of others. Needy people in our community, we must give, we must go, we must help. We must like literally be part of that, of our lives. And God will meet the needs as we meet the needs of others. Which leads us to understand that these people developed a genuine heart for others. It wasn't the me, myself, and I. It was the heart for others. And what've been portrayed over this series so far, and to this point, and we've seen through the series, is that the early church was full of love and care. Yes, they had power, supernatural power. Yes, they had a togetherness that created oneness, where the like it was just radically different, their communion family. It was fueled by love and care. But Luke, in this moment, chapter 4, takes a shift in his illustration to demonstrate the love and care through their acts of generosity. Now, we need to know, because this community of people were generous, it was not all sunshine and rainbows and lollipops and all of this great stuff, peace and light. It was not. It was not just like that. Immediately after chapter 4, chapter 5 in Acts, we get one of the craziest, most deceitful stories revealed to us. It's a story of Ananias and his, and his wife who were part of the church where they were filled with greed and deceit which leads them to losing their own lives. Like I said, not always peace, not always light. But I want us to focus on what Luke says twice in Acts that they shared everything that they had. Hmm. Everything. Everything. The Bible uses language, not like just flippantly like, oh, they used everything, but it was just a little bit. No, everything that they had, they shared. And the key thing here is that they distributed it to anyone who had need, and there was no needy person among them. There's many references where when you begin to study this, that it stems from their understanding of what a biblical Jewish community looked like. When they understood biblical community, where Leviticus and Deuteronomy says that there'd be no needy people among them, It was part of their being. It was a command for the community that there would be no needy people among them. And with their understanding in this, plus the devotedness to Jesus and the way he lived his life, it truly became alive in them where they could not hold it back, being in one heart and soul where God's grace was at work in and through them. And this unity came from the grace literally expressed itself through the attitude they had towards their possessions. And it says that no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Verse 32, which we looked at earlier. As needs arose within the community, they lived with the posture of abundance. And their approach was, what's mine is truly yours. What's mine is truly yours. Now quickly for some context on this, because we don't have loads and loads of time on it. The context of this is timely and it matters largely because Jerusalem was seen as a city of two extremes. Wealth and poverty. Wealth was one huge extreme where, the, where Herod's Council and tax collectors and merchants and landowners and bankers, they were, they were rich. It was wealthy. But the other side was that, that, that it was extreme poverty. High tax, uh, land tax, unemployment rates skyrocketing, which lead to beggars and widows on the street where people were desperately in need and they were living from that spirit of poverty. They literally didn't have enough. So it was the high extreme of wealth and also the pit of poverty. So when we think of Jesus' life, there's no surprise that Jesus was aware of this in his time, that what was going down. He lived it. He actually experienced it. He saw it and even addressed the needs of the poor to the people. And what I love so much about this moment that we read in Acts is the fact that the church didn't have like a board meeting and say, hey, what should we do about the needy people? No, they didn't have a board meeting and say, hey, what's what's like kind of a social experiment that we could try out to meet the needs of people? No, their actions of love and care through generosity was born out of people in need. It was like they saw the need and they met the needs. I love how Dean Pinter puts it in his book. Uh, He says, the early church was not experimenting with an early form of socialism. Their actions were born out of necessity. They saw it, they acted on it. And I would double down and say, they didn't just understand the new life in Christ that Paul talks about so much in the New Testament. If you know who Apostle Paul, he talks a lot about the new life in Christ and how you now live your life out—not the way of of the past, but the new way that Jesus calls us to. I would double down that they would—they understand and they committed every ounce of who they are to that new life that they had. They very rarely lived from a posture and position of spirit of poverty, saying there isn't enough. They trusted and believed that God, through His infinite abundance, would meet the needs as they met others. This is the church. You must look back to look forward. What is the church 3.0 today? I want to look at a few things before we wrap up of that I found that this week as I examined the early church and how they knew to hold everything that they had with open hands. So often we hold so tight, but this church, this people group, literally held everything with their open hands and it led them to this. When you hold things with open hands, you realize what I have is not mine. This comes down to being good stewards of what we have. Time, resources, goods, attention. Seeing God as the owner of all things on this earth and of next ultimately helps us see that God created everything so it belongs to him and we're the ones that he gives it to to enjoy. Where God is the good host, where we enjoy these things and we become stewards. But essentially, we don't own a thing. See, as we adopt this practice of generosity, and this is a practice of like this is a practice of the way of Jesus. He says, Do this, we must do this. And when we adopt this practice of generosity, holding everything with open hands, because we truly are not the owners of these things, it allows us to do something else beautiful. It allows us to give it away freely. First, we learn that it is not ours. And the next thing we learn as we open our hands with everything that we have, it allows us to give freely. Holding these things allows us to just see the opportunity to give away freely. Like I identified earlier, our world's cultural norm is to take and not give. The early church was attractive in meeting the needs because the ability to acknowledge that there are things that they hold were to be given away. See, with the first point, we acknowledge that God owns it all. That he created, we get to enjoy it, we get to give it away. There's no longer a big issue when we see someone in need and we give it away. We don't have to hold so tightly because it's just like, hey, my hands are already open. It's yours. Opening our hands with everything that we have actually allows us to also plan to be generous. I love this. We can plan to be generous. You ever thought of that? Instead of just waiting around, you can actually plan to be generous, where you can wake up in the morning before you do anything of your day and whisper, Holy Spirit, give me the eyes and ears to meet the needs of other people around me as you reveal them to me. See, opposites would wake up and say, hey, God, I want to gather today. Give me all what I got. Give me all what I need for my day. You're the God of the abundance. You're going to make my, meet my needs. No, but people who are generous stand on and in generosity where they actually plan it out. God, how do I be generous today? Who are you calling me to meet the needs of? I love how the prophet Isaiah says, but generous people plan to do what is generous and they stand firm in their generosity. Stand firm in their generosity. See, we have a guy, a part of our Poplar Hill community, who is radically generous. He literally can't help himself. And it's not just with his resources of meeting needs of families that are in need. No, it's also with his time and attention and emotion to young men who actually need someone to invest in them, where he gives up his time in the evenings to actually live with them, to invest in them. He sees everything that he has with open hands to invest and to give away. We have a woman part of our Exeter community where she literally drives around and gives away the things that she's recently just bought. She thought it was for herself, but all of a sudden the spirit of God literally gives her a name to go and drop these things off. And time and time again, story and story, she has these moments where she just gives away generously. And it's timely where she has stories of people saying, how did you know I needed this? She goes, God, How do we get these examples? Because these people hold with their hands open of the things that they have and say, these are not mine. The open hands also say, and does and will do, break us free from materialism. It'll break you free from materialism frees us from becoming narrow-minded self-centered blind to the needs of others and i don't know if you've ever looked up the definition of materialism i did it this week and i didn't put in like the biblical worldview of of materialism to to kind of get brownie points no i didn't do that i just typed in definition of materialism this is what it said a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values A tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. This literally had me in my chair, sunken in, feeling so convicted. See, materialism is literally uh, having the effect in the way that we see our spiritual life. Because in a sense, we're saying, my possessions, my physical comfort is way more important than my spiritual being, which is your soul. The depth of who you are. Just a small reminder, our physical beings are not eternal. The things on this earth are not eternal. Your souls are. So it scares me that our love for materialism is literally putting so many of us in tailspins because there's not, we're all worried about our possessions and our comfort and our physical comfort. Yes, we have to worry about things, absolutely. But then it becomes an idol. And it distracts us from what God desires for us in our life. But holding everything with an open hand frees us from the grip in the rat race of take, 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 and allows us to give freely because our mindset isn't to gather, consume, hoard. It is to be generous. I recall in my life, I moved out at 18, 19 years old with a couple buddies, and materialism was huge. Consuming was just the, who I was. If, like, if someone was to write an article on me, it would be like, yeah, he's got a lot of stuff. Where literally I I was buying clothes, bikes, game system, cars, phones. And the cycle continued for years and years. Which guess what? Racked up debt. It became the idol of my life. But then I finally had a guy in my life. Who spoke some beautiful wisdom into my soul and who I was. And said, you know you don't have to follow the crowd. You know you don't have to live into the lie. That there's not enough. You know you don't have to follow your friends and the people of this world saying, gather, consume, take. You know you don't have to do that. You can be freed from this. You can hold things with open hands and give generously. And as I saw that be spoken into existence of who I was, and I saw the things and the list of things that I had that I consumed and gathered for years upon years, I started to finally see a little bit clearer. Not full clarity, trust me. I went back and forth a bit. Gave generously, bought some more. (laughs) But I started to see clear. And as I began to see these things as they consumed not mine, I saw the release of my soul. I felt life. It was amazing to lift others up above myself. And to see God provide even more in my life. And it wasn't just money that he provided. He provided friendships, meals, conversations, people speaking into my life. Because what? I decided to open my hands and say, God, use me. Let's meet the needs of others. I've been thinking a lot this week of how to wrap this talk up. Because being generous can actually create a lot of tension within relationships and people. Didn't know how to land this one because you're asking people to be generous with the things that they hold so tightly and now you're saying, hey, open a hand open your hands and give away freely it's tough because you've worked so hard for what you have right, some of us are proud of the life that we've built on the things that we have you love holding on to the things that you have because in ways it makes you feel comfortable successful seen, known it creates tension but I want us to think of this. If someone was to write about your life, would they capture and jot down like Luke did where they were radically generous? Insert your name there. Was radically generous. Would they be able to recall the moments that you went out of your way to meet the needs of the needy? Would there be story after story after story where you treated your stuff as not your own, but you gave it away. I want us to go a little bit farther and think of this moment for a second. Think about Vital Point Church. If a newspaper reporter came here and wrote about an article about Vital Point Church. Are there newspapers still? Yeah? <laughs> someone was someone's write a tweet about Vital Point Church, is that even a thing? Yeah, Elon Musk just bought it. We're not, we're not getting into that. If someone was to write an article about our church. would they be able to capture the heart of who we are? The soul of this community. Where it was built on generosity. Not just meeting. It was built on meeting the needs of others. See, I dream of a time where churches full of people, all ages, young and old, people would see and feel the heart of God through this generosity where they would be the bedrock of generosity in their community, where they would be story after story of how people held everything on this earth with open hands saying, God, let's give it away. That's what I dream about. That's what I pray about. Because if the church was generous the way Jesus desired them to be, people would see, sense, feel the heart that God has for them. It would reshape the world's view on the church. Because as we are more generous, Christ is formed in us. Our world would be full of compassion and love. The early church was known for this. It's why people's hearts were being transformed, impacted, and people were wanting to be part of this community because they were meeting the needs of others, not just themselves. And here's the final thing. If you don't get anything from this message today, this is all fueled on love. Generosity is literally fueled on love. The early church gave, yes, because they hold it with open arms, but they literally first loved others. Gave them the eyes and ears to see the ones in need. The hearts that were broken. The areas of the city and regions that they needed to go to. The church left to go reach the people that God desired them to reach. Jesus laid his life down for the whole world. Why? Because God first loved the world. It was the most beautiful example and demonstration of radical generosity that we can all receive today. And now he's calling us to see sense and move into the plan of radical generosity that he has for this community in this region, in this world here and now if you look at our cultural moment I believe it's the most beautiful time to be the church it's the best opportunity we have I pray that we would understand that we are literally being reshaped to be the church that God desired us to be, not the way we desire to be, how God desires it to be for a time such as this to reveal the love and the compassion and care that the early church first did. And I believe this is the miracle that our community and our world needs here and now. Generosity. Will you live it? Will you be it? And will it be part of who you are? Listen to this.